Have you? And every time you saw them, it caused you anxiety? Or you just were like, you know, I'm going to walk 100 feet away from them? If you find yourself, and I see some of you nodding your heads because this is a universal human experience. We've all had it. It might even be in your family, <laughs> right? And you, don't, and you don't talk to, I don't know, your mom or your dad for a day or two. Right? We've all had problems with somebody. Maybe this person did something particularly hurtful to you. They said something that was hurtful. They said something that was untrue. And maybe if, if you're a, in, in a student, and I, I realize that our young people are helping in children's church, so that analogy won't work. But I'll share it with you anyway. It's, you know, have you ever had a beef with someone in your class? You don't want to have to sit next to them. Maybe it's someone at work right, workplace beef, where you, you, they're just, that person did something or said something, and so you just try to ignore them. You know, in churches, though, we're always talking about how the other person is the one persecuting us, the other person is the one who has said something to hurt us. I think we need a teaching of what happens when you are the enemy, right? Because it's always everyone else is doing this. What about when you are the enemy? So, If you come back on February 11th, we're actually titling our teaching for that morning, When You Are the Enemy. I felt God leading me through this and to this while doing Psalm 23 because it's true. Oftentimes, we're always looking at other people harming us, but never when we are the ones who harm others. But with that said, when it's someone that has just done something to you that has been hurtful and has been painful and it has caused you a lot of turmoil, We tend to want to ignore those people because we don't want to be hurt again. And so to that, I want to read to you from Psalm 23, verse 5, where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, when we use the word enemy, usually it's it's oftentimes in the context, at least in the 21st century, or 20, is it still 21st century? Yeah. It's always in the context of war. But in our daily lives, we're not really at war with anybody, but we tend to, to think of our enemies as somebody who has done something that was aggressive towards us or someone that has hurt us. But I want to say that let's take it one step further, and our enemy can be a work situation or a family situation, and yes, even a church situation that has been harmful to you. If you guys remember in, in junior high or high school, one of the things we learned in literature class is that um, anything that is that works against you. What, what is it called when it's man versus man? Man versus self. And what's the third one? Man versus nature. In our lives, we face all sorts of situations that can be difficult for us, that, can, that we can be hurt by. And so I would say this, that when the Bible writer writes that God prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies, what we could actually begin to think about is that God places us in the, in the presence of the problems that we are facing. It's almost as though it's intentional and purposeful. So the question is this, why would God want to put us purposefully in the presence of our enemy? 
Why would God purposely want to set a table before us where we actually have to deal with something? It's like going to a party and that person you don't like or haven't gotten along with is there. That's not a party, is it? Because you spend the whole time trying to ignore and avoid that person. Family gatherings, if there's been some, you know, altercations in the past, you try to stay away from those people because you don't want it to blow up into something. And so the question we ask is in the Psalms, why would it say that God purposefully prepares a place for us in the presence of our enemies? It seems like that is something that is cruel, right? For the God who's supposed to keep us safe and protect us, why would he put us in the presence of an enemy? So to, to kind of get a little bit more understanding about this, we, we think about the table. In the ancient world, the table was a place where when you sat at a table, you would enter into a relationship with the person that was there. So the table wasn't just about let's eat together. It was about entering into a dialogue with that person. So usually once a week, sometimes twice a week, I try to get together with other pastors. Usually it's the same two or three pastors. And we talk and we just talk about ministry. We talk about some of our struggles. We talk about, you know, church life. We talk about our families. But what's more important isn't the food that we're eating. It's that we're sitting together interacting with one another. Because the table represents so much more than food. Let me give you another illustration. When um, Kim and I, when we got married, we went on our honeymoon. We took a cruise for our honeymoon. It was affordable. It was easy. Everything is taken care of. We don't have to worry about anything. You just show up, and you're on a boat for seven days. I think it was seven days. Now, if you've ever been on a cruise, you'll know that for dinner time, there's all sorts of options, right? You can go to the little cafe. You can go here or there. Or a part of what you pay for is you can go to this nice dining room where you sit and have this really nice meal. And the awesome thing about it is you can order everything on the menu. You can. Did you know that? And they don't charge you extra. You can just order all of it. So I was excited when I heard this. So I go there. I'm like, it's my honeymoon. I'll work out two times a day. I don't care, but I'm going to eat all this good food that I probably would not normally eat on a regular day. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we get dressed. You're supposed to be j- kind of fancy, which I didn't know. So I kind of had to like buy a tie at the gift store, gift, gift store there, or whatever. So we're going to this place, and I'm like, it's gonna be romantic. Him and I are gonna have our table for two. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. And and then we get there, and they tell us, no, you're assigned this table. It's like what? Well, we can't just choose. No. So we go to this table, and it's like 12 people that we have to share this table with. Now, I, I'm, a bit, I'm, gonna, I'm a bit of a recluse. Like, I like to kind of stay to my own, and I was really looking forward to a table for two. But the fact that there's a table for 12 was just, th- uh, this is not my idea of a honeymoon to share with 10 other people. So we sat down where everybody's nice. If you've been on a cruise, everybody tries to be nice. But here's what happened. Having to sit at this table, it forced me because Kim likes everybody. She can talk to anybody. It's harder for me. It forced me to enter into dialogues and conversations with these strangers. And what ended up happening is that Kim and I became really good friends with this older couple from Australia. We still keep in touch with them. And we toured the port cities. So they didn't speak Spanish. I did. So I was kind of the translator. But we were able to tour the cities that we stopped at. I don't remember which ones they were. But we were able to, you know, just sitting at a table, we entered into this wonderful and beautiful relationship where to this day, right, they keep inviting us to come. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. 
right? Because I can't, I wouldn't be able to stay in an airplane that long. But we built a beautiful relationship with these people. Perfect strangers, now they will be a part of our lives forever. Because the table forced us to interact with the people that were there. So when we read Psalm 23, and it says that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy, it would seem that God is asking us to face our enemy. Now, if you've ever been in an abusive relationship, this is not saying you go back and you stay. That's not what this is saying. I'll say it from here. You can disagree with me all you want. Not saying you go back to that. I'm saying you face the problems. You see, God isn't being cruel and just telling us, hey, go and be in that unhealthy situation or go and put yourself to be a punching bag. That's not what God is saying. It says we are, he, is, he asks us to face our problems, not because he wants us to suffer or experience pain or a difficult situation, but God wants us to face our problems and our enemies because God has already made us more than conquerors. You see, sometimes we think, well, that'd be cruel, God. Why would you do that? Here's why. It says, in all, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. God may ask us to face our enemies and our problems because God will give you more than enough to be able to conquer these enemies. That's why I say it could be a situation at work, at home, at church. It could be someone who's done something to you. It can be someone who has said something about you. But the truth is that God prepares a table for you and for me in the presence of these enemies because God will give us what it takes to be able to overcome that. Because we know that if we just try to ignore it, the one that it hurts is us. The person that hurt us doesn't know. They don't care. And so we face our problems because we grow from it, we mature from it, and God gives us the strength that we need. We don't like to face problems, do we? I would rather live my life never having to face any problem because it's just easier and we could try to ignore it. But if we don't face our enemies or our problems, we don't heal from it. Now, if we look at verse 23, verse 5 again, not yet, we won't go there yet, but Psalm 23, verse 5. The second part of the text is, God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And the second part is, and he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, oil, as you know, in the scriptures, it always represents the Holy Spirit. So when the psalmist writes that God will anoint his head with oil, what he's really saying is God will pour out his very spirit into you. Now, if God is for you, how does that go? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for you, there is no one that can really be against you. You can either choose to focus on your enemies, you can choose to focus on the devil is trying to attack me or the devil is trying to tempt me, or you can focus on God has already conquered the devil, 
God has already given me the strength to overcome this temptation. And so if God is with you and God is filling you, the devil can do nothing. So when the psalmist writes that God fills you with oil, it also says, my cup overflows. God doesn't just give you enough, Holy Spirit. God will give you more than enough. It says it overflows. Right? How many of you have ever, have ever um, had like, a, you know, one of those, what are those called? Uh, what's the Adventist version of champagne? What is that called? Martinelli's? Yeah. So my, my 14-year-old son, he loves these, right? But, you know, can't get them for him all the time because it's not healthy, I guess. I don't know. But what he likes to do is he likes to have his own bottle. And what he'll do is he'll drink out of the bottle, right? Because, I don't know, makes him feel like a big man. I don't know. But what happens when you have a carbonated drink and you have a small little opening at the top, and if you drink it and if you drink too fast and you set it back down, what happens? Overflows. No one likes that. Because you have to clean it up and it goes all over the place and you rush to the counter and it's all over the floor. I have a talk with him about this every time. But if you think about that visual, that when God pours his spirit into you and it overflows, that means there is extra, there is more than enough. So when you're facing something that is a difficulty or a challenge or an enemy, be reminded that God will ask you to face that problem. And if you open yourself up to God, he will pour his spirit into you in a way that will give you peace to be able to deal with this. And it may be hard to deal with, it's always hard to deal with problems. It's always hard to deal with somebody who has wronged you. It's always difficult, always. But with God's spirit, he will lead you through it. And here's why I think God gives us Holy Spirit to overflowing. Because he doesn't want us to just face the problem. He wants us to be able to move on from the problem. And he gives us an overflow of the Spirit for this reason. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Here's where the overflow comes into place. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No one wants to do that. No, because for us as humans, we feel justified hating the people that have hurt us and wronged us, right? We are justified in saying, I will hate that person because they did this to me. Now, we may not use those words, but that's what we're thinking and feeling sometimes, especially if it was something big. And we think to ourselves, I have the right to not like that person. And yet what Jesus tells us is maybe that was okay once, but I tell you now, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the one that has wronged you. Pray for the person or the situation that you have been put in that has been painful and hurtful. It does not say go back to that situation and allow that to happen again. But it does say pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God causes his Son to rise on the, ju- on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? For even the tax collectors, the worst people in society at the time, for even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect then, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want to make a point clear. That last text, that last line, I'm sorry, it's not saying you have to be perfect without sin. Because in its context, 
He's calling us to love our enemies just as God loves you when once you were God's enemy. You see, what this text is calling us to is that we must love as perfectly as our Father in heaven loves us. God knows that we have done all sorts of evils and injustice against God, and our sins, they show that. And what this passage is showing us is love your enemies because that is what God does for you. Now, if that's not enough, I want to go to one more text. I believe it's one more text. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. What does that say? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Why would God want us to do that? Because what we find in the scriptures is that the characteristic of a follower of Jesus is of a person who loves well of a person who not only loves the people that are easy to love, but loves the people that are difficult to love. For for God and for us as Christians, the defining characteristic, the defining characteristic of whether you are truly a believer or not is whether you love well. So some of you, you have lists of the things that, you know, if I do all of these things, then I know I'm a good Christian. I would say wipe those things clean. I know coming from an Adventist pastor, that's heresy, okay? (laughs) I'm saying don't worry about some of those lists. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. It's easy to do those things. It's easy to be vegetarian. I mean, it's kind of easy, but it's easy to be vegetarian. It's easy to keep the Sabbath. It's easy to do all those things. Those are all external, external. We can control external things. What is not always easy to control are your emotions and how you feel about someone. And so if you don't love, who cares that you're doing all these other good things? I don't think God cares that much, and here's why. Because from the scriptures, and there's a whole book on love. Now, I know some of you may be shaking your head and be like, this pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe I don't. That's why I go to the Bible. (laughs) If you don't know how to love, the Bible calls you a liar. And it says that you're not a son of God. All these other lists, they don't say if you do all these things, you'll be a son of God. It doesn't say that. Now, is the Bible full of good advice? Yes. Is the Bible full of things that we probably should be doing that are going to make our life easier? Yes. Those are all good things. But focus on learning to love people. The reason why it will consume you. Every part of your life, of your soul, of your heart, if you say, I am going to love this person, if they have wronged you, that will consume you. And every effort that you have in your body will go to forgive and to see past what that person did, and then you can pray and bless them. Because that's what God does for us. And that's what God is calling all of us to do. So the lists are good, okay? Don't fight over them, though. Don't fight over them. Do them. Live live up to some of these lists that we find in Scripture. But don't let your whole life be consumed by that. Be consumed by love. Let me give you a text that's not in here. Paul comes to a church and he says, For I have decided to know nothing among you but Christ and Christ crucified. Decided to know nothing among you but Christ. So here's a practice for you to try to love people that are hard to love. See 
Christ in them. See the goodness in them, the best part of who they are, because the hope is that that's what people will see in you. You see, God has saved you. God gave his son for you so that you would be forgiven. Did you merit the forgiveness? Do you, did you earn the forgiveness? Can you ever earn the forgiveness? Oh. Why are we forgiven? More than the sacrifice on the cross, it's that God chooses to see the Christ in you. God sees Jesus, and so he takes you. That's what we need to learn to do. It's not easy, okay? It's not easy to do that. But if every day we woke up and we said, I'm going to try to see that in everybody, you would begin to see that your life changes in dramatic and drastic ways. Because what the Bible tells us is that God will place us in the presence of our enemies so we can face them, so that then we can pray for them and bless them. In the New Testament, there is never a time for you to get revenge on someone that has done something to you. That is not a characteristic of a Christian. That is not the characteristic of a follower of Jesus. What did Jesus do? I mean, he was being beaten. He was being stripped. He was carrying a cross for part of the way. And what does Jesus do right before he's crucified? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I had been crying and screaming the whole way. Obviously, I'm not, you know, Jesus, but... And Jesus just says, forgive them, Father. Forgive them. What if we lived like that? What if we lived where every time you were wronged and every time you were hurt, you just say, Father, forgive them and help me to forgive them? Now, keep in mind, and that's why I'm inviting you back for February 11. Keep in mind, sometimes you are that person who hurt the other person. Sometimes you are the one who is the aggressor. And so we want to look at, in a couple of weeks, what it looks like for us to not be that person. Because again, it comes back to, do we love as God loves, or do we love on our terms? God will always ask us to deal with our problems and our enemies. Because as we've seen in Scripture, He will fill us to overflowing. He will give you strength and he will make you more than a conqueror. And there is nothing in this world that can get in the way of that. And I believe that we must learn to live our lives as more than conquerors. More than conquerors. What's funny is a conqueror is someone that has to face the battle and defeat him. To be more than a conqueror is almost to be above the situation. We cannot be dragged down to those situations. This morning, we are, we are about to wrap up this week and next week our sermon series that we've been going through called The Victorious Limp. And it's based on the text that we are more than conquerors. And sometimes there's a limp that comes after facing some of these enemies. But yet God has promised to be faithful to us through that. So though we may be in the presence of our enemies, God's Holy Spirit will fill you to overflowing to the point where he will give you peace and comfort. And whatever the enemy is, even if it's a sickness, God will still fill you. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, we don't always like what the Bible tells us because it requires so much of us. And God, this morning what we've seen is that you want us to love. 
And God, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to love those who have persecuted us, who have hurt us. So our prayer this morning for my friends here, Lord, and for myself, is that you would help us to love in such a way that pain and hurt would recede from our lives and that we would be able to live a life of more than a conqueror. In the name of Jesus, we pray.